Good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, <clears throat> we're in 1 Corinthians. You may have forgot. It's been so long. Uh, I apologize. Uh, but we were in 1 Corinthians 11. We're supposed to start with verse uh, 17, I believe. Works better if you turn it on. Um, supposed to begin with verse 17, but I just want to read verse 3 again uh, and go through uh, the verses relating to uh, the woman's uh, wearing the veil with regards to what was going on at Corinth. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Uh, today, you know, in our generation, uh, women are deeply offended by this. Uh, Christ is uh, head, uh, man is next, and woman uh, subordinate to man uh, are offended by it. Uh, and I, I don't think that's really a, a, I don't know exactly why. It's not that uh, women are lesser than men. That's not the point. Uh, it has nothing to do with that, as a matter of fact. It's not that women can't lead. It has nothing to do with that either. Uh, it's not that women uh, don't come up with great ideas. Uh, I was thinking just a few moments ago, uh, through the years, uh, we've had a lot of suggestions by women, things we should or might want to do. And I can't remember a single idea we weren't in full agreement with. I thought they were a great idea. And uh, we implemented it. There may have been some we didn't, I, I, but I don't remember them. Uh, it's, it's not that women are lesser than men. It's just that somebody has to, the buck has to stop somewhere. And the buck stops with the man. Uh, it's his responsibility uh, to take care of uh, his family. Uh, it's, it's the man's responsibility to take care of the church. Somebody has to be in charge. And the Lord chose uh, the male to do it, and he told us what his reasons were. Number one was uh, Adam, God created him first. Uh, and number two, uh, Eve came out of Adam. She was from him, and um, she was second. And then also uh, the fact that it was Eve who was deceived in the garden, uh, not the man. Uh, Adam uh, was in love. And because of that love in his eyes, he, he went against what he knew to be right and did it anyway. I don't know from my perspective. I can't tell which one's worse, uh, what Eve did or what Adam did. But uh, according to the Lord, that's one of the reasons why the situation is as it is. It's not worth arguing over because this is the will of God, and that's all that matters if we want to live with God, uh, if we want to um, befriend him while we're here and uh, live with him eternally in heaven. Uh, it's going to be his way or it's going to be the highway. It's just that simple. Uh, if we reject his will, it's the same as rejecting him. In his infinite wisdom, he decided that the male would be the best leader, and to, de to deny that is to deny the wisdom of God. And uh, he takes that very personally. It's not good. Um, it's, uh, when, when it comes to the home, of course, the male and the female work together. 
but uh, someone has to be accountable for what happens, and God put that burden on the man. Uh, and then he goes through, because there are problems. It's a pagan city. I mean, it's pagan, pagan, pagan. It's pagan. It's so pagan that there was a phrase back at that time when somebody did badly, behaved badly, they say, he's been Corinthianized. That's how bad, it's like talking about Vegas today. That's how bad Corinth was. It was a, a horrible place where every kind of debauchery you could think of went on. Uh, they had a, a temple with a thousand prostitutes working in it. A thousand, you can imagine how many visitors they had. And uh, it, uh, it was very hard. First of all, the Corinthians were converted to Christ. Very different kind of lifestyle, very different. And it's going to take years before they get in the groove, so to speak. I don't think they really got to that point. I don't know that the church even lasted that long. But uh, it was very hard for them to uh, walk with Christ after what they were used to, brought up in. And um, secondly, there was also the, the influences of family, friends, the community. Uh, and it, it made it very tough on them. So the, the problems we see at Corinth doesn't surprise me. I mean, they're wrong. These things can't go on. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that these things happen. I don't think the Corinthians are worse than anybody on the world. I'm talking about the Corinthian church. Uh, I, I think they were in a very difficult situation. And maybe they didn't have enough faith to uh, last very long. Or maybe they got smart, like people in California, and they packed up and left, went somewhere else to live. Um, that's what Job didn't do. Uh, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. That's because uh, the, the covering, now this is cultural, this is not law, this is cultural. And the, you got to pay attention to the culture, because the culture matters. Uh, it was a cultural thing, and uh, the, the man wasn't supposed to wear the covering because uh, the only one above him was Christ. So the covering meant he was in subjection to someone on the earth. Now, you're not in subjection to anyone on earth, therefore don't wear the covering. Uh, it gave people the wrong idea. Uh, the woman, on the other hand, because she was in subjection to the male, uh, she had to wear the covering to show that she uh, uh, realized uh, her subordinate position to the male. Uh, so the man had to have his head uncovered, the woman had to have her head covered. What does that have to do with us today? Not one thing, not one thing. The only thing we learn th from it is the influence of a culture, how we have to buy, abide by cultural principles. Uh, I, got, I always use the same example. Uh, when I was a kid, they used a red light uh, on their front porch to show uh, a house of prostitution. You see a red light, you know what's going on in that house. Uh, so other people, regular people, uh, they wouldn't use a red light. Well, was it wrong to use a red light in and of itself? Well, no, there's nothing wrong with a red light. But at that time, that red light meant a house of prostitution. Therefore, nobody's going to use a red light bulb. Uh, it just isn't something you'll do. We, we obey cultural norms as long as they're within the, within the boundaries of uh, 
godly living, we have to obey them or people will think we're something that we're not. Uh, and this is what the, Paul's talking about. It was a cultural thing. Uh, I think I might have showed you back uh, during the days of uh, Jacob where uh, Tamar wore um, a covering on her head to indicate that she was a prostitute. When, uh, no, it was Judah. When Judah saw her, he, he realized uh, she was a prostitute. And uh, he, you know, he did, had a business transaction with her. Uh, so at that time in biblical history, uh, a woman didn't have to wear a covering on her head. And if she did, uh, it would be, uh, she would be unseemly to the population. She would be a woman of ill repute. So things change as things go on. Human nature never changes. It's always, that's why we always make the same goofy mistakes all the time. It's so sad. It's really so sad. History teaches us the future. And most people won't fool with it. But you can learn from history what's coming down the road by what's going on uh, if you are paying attention. Because it's, it's, it's just a, a series of cycles. What can we do? We're, we're on the same earth uh, Abraham walked. You know, we got the same ground, we got the same minerals, same resources, we got the same sky above us, same rain, same snow, everything's the same. The only thing that changes is behavior, and it goes in cycles. And this was the situation with a head covering. It's not mandatory to wear a head covering. Some people believe it is, okay? Uh, at this time, it would have been. Why? Because it signified something. Today, a head covering signifies nothing. If a woman doesn't wear a hat to worship service, nobody thinks anything about it. It's not cultural. I can remember when women wore hats. Uh, I thought it was uh, in the Bible at the time because all women wore hats. But culturally, that was the norm. So people didn't want to stand out like a sore thumb, so they wore hats. Well, those days are gone. We're living today, and uh, head covering is not normal. And if you're going to replicate the head covering of the Old Testament, you're going to have to get a veil and put over you like you've seen the Muslims do. That's what the head covering was at that time. You're going to have to do the same thing if you're going to actually replicate it. But nobody wants to do that. So what we learn from this is not the head covering. It's the principle that's involved, uh, that we are obliged to pay attention to cultural norms. They're not the law. Nevertheless, we do abide by them as long as they're within the confines of the law of God. Uh, any questions or comments? Uh, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is the man. Uh, why? She's not showing a place of subordination to the man. Okay, therefore the man is... Uh, is shamed, embarrassed, dishonored uh, by his wife's behavior. This, what Paul's getting at, he's going to say, leave your head coverings on. Uh, they thought because, I, I think because they thought they were teaching and preaching in the assembly that it was only right to, to take off their head covering, uh, which I suppose it would have been, except for the fact that it wasn't right for them to be teaching in the assembly when Male and female both were there. Uh, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. 
for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved, not to where the veil was the same as being bald, or shorn at least, cut very deep. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Uh, that would be uh, emulating the uh, prostitutes, uh, the temple prostitutes. They, they cropped their hair, it was very short. And uh, there were some in Corinth, undoubtedly, who wanted to be in the modern trend, and they got a haircut like the prostitutes did. And they stuck out and they looked like prostitutes walking around the city. Well, that was shameful. Everybody knew that was shameful. It's shameful for Christian women to do that, and everybody knew it. But Paul's saying if a woman's not going to work her ever, why not just shave your head off? Go for it. Go all the way. Uh, we're not supposed to be like the world. <clears throat> we're trying to be not like the world. Uh, we're trying to be like the Christ. But there are so many tugs, pulls, pushes for us to conform to the ways of the world. If we don't conform to the ways of the world, everybody thinks we're weird. Our friends don't want anything to do with us. They don't want to associate with us. And because of the pressures we experience, sometimes we're inclined to emulate the world. And Paul clearly said, do not be conformed to this world, but instead, rather, be transformed into the model of Christ. If it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Put the veil back on. For a man indeed, uh, sometimes you talk about the hair, uh, the, the hair what wouldn't suffice for a covering in worship at that time. Uh, that, that wouldn't have made any difference. The long hair and the shorter hair of the men was an, a custom that was basically universal. Uh, always has been. Uh, men wore hair shorter than women. Now they wore hair long, um, when they were under a Nazarite vow, they, wrote, they grew their hair very long. Uh, but uh, the woman, especially at the time, uh, had uh, very long hair. That was uh, their gory. And uh, they seldom cut it off. They let it grow and grow and grow. Uh, you got to know something about the culture to understand this text because it's all based in culture. Uh, a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of the God. But woman, she's the glory of man. Adam was created by God, and Eve was created out of Adam. God created Adam completely, and using that rib, Eve was produced, okay? So God created Adam, and in a sense, Adam created Eve in a sense, figuratively speaking. And that's what he's alluding to. Then he says, for man is not from woman, but the woman is from the man, from the rib. Nor was a man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. It was God's intention right from the get-go. He knew, of course, that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that there were going to be rules imposed. So right from the get-go, he made the male instead of the female question could be asked, why didn't he make the female first and then the male? Because that wasn't going to be the order he would choose. He was going to choose the male to be the, the accountable one and the woman to be in subordination to him. <clears throat> For this reason, verse 10, the woman ought to have symbol of authority on her head because of the angels who gather with us in our worship. The woman uh, uh, 
showed um, her adherence to the rule. They probably thought it was a law, but it wasn't. It was cultural. Uh, she adhered to the rule because she wanted to please God and she wanted to glorify her husband. And the angels, of course, smile on that kind of behavior. For this reason, the, oh, I already read that, verse 10. Let's go on. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman. Even though the woman came out of the man, that doesn't mean the man isn't dependent on woman. He's not independent. What does that mean? He's dependent. Okay, he depends on woman. Woman is not independent of man. Why? She depends on the man. They depend on each other. What happens when two people get married? They become one. Okay? Two halves make the whole. And um, that's the case when it comes to the male to female relationship. Some men, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was a, I don't know if anybody had the nerve to say it, but there was more or less the attitude that the, the woman was uh, inferior to the man. And it, 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 there was all kinds of signs that indicated it. I remember as a child, whenever the women cooked supper, for example, uh, the men would eat first. And whenever they got around to getting done, which may be an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how long they talked, uh, they'd get up from the table, then the women and the kids would go and eat whatever was left. <laughs> Sometimes there wasn't a whole lot, but uh, that was the way it worked. Uh, they felt like uh, women were inferior to them. They, they felt like in many cases that they were a boss because of what the Bible taught. I think maybe some preachers misinterpreting the Bible gave them the wrong impression, but that's not the case at all. Uh, the woman isn't uh, required to give her life for her husband, but the husband is required to give his life for the wife. And what does that tell you about God's attitude towards women? If a man is what he ought to be, he's going to put his family before himself. That's the way it works. What did Christ do? Did he put himself be before us, I mean us before him? Of course he did. His life, his death was for us. He literally came, lived, and gave himself for our benefit. And then he says, as he does, so must the man do in Ephesians 5, 23-25 that the man is supposed to treat his wife, his family, <clears throat> like Christ treats his church. And that's something uh, that was very different from what I remember as a child. Uh, it, it wasn't that way at all. I thought the man was the boss uh, because that's the way it looked, but that wasn't the case at all. Uh, if a man's what he ought to be, the wife and the children their needs come before his own needs. He'll do without. You always hear about mama doing out for the sake of the kids. I know my mother did. I used to remember when mama never would eat with us kids. There was uh, five, of, well, one of them died, and then there was four of us. Then 10 years later, Kenny came along. But um, I remember mama never ate with us. And I, it used to bother me. How come she won't eat with us? 
you know, do we got the cooties or something? What is it about us you don't want to eat with us? And I, I, I was grown before I found out. I finally got enough nerve to ask her, and I said, why don't you ever eat with us when we were kids? She said, well, I was going to make sure there was enough for you first. And then uh, she would eat whatever was left. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't eat so much. But I didn't know it. And uh, I was so ashamed of myself not considering her more. I just thought she didn't want to fool with us. Uh, but that wasn't the reason the woman put herself on the back burner. Why? Because of love. That's what makes her do it. Well, the man, he should have that same kind of love, a sacrificial love. His wants, they come last. And the children and wife, they, she comes first. It's not a bad deal when it's done properly. And that's what makes two becoming one actually work. But sometimes there's a lot of anger because of history. For as woman <coughs> came from man, <coughs> even so man also comes through woman. The language changes here. Uh, Eve came from man. She actually did come out of man. But the man, he comes through woman. Uh, we know how that works uh, when a child is born. But all things uh, are from God. God is, of course, uh, the creator of all. He is uh, the one that gives us our direction. He knows wh who we are, what we are. He knows what it takes to make us happy. He knows more about ourselves than we do. That's why sometimes we don't get the stuff we want because God knows it's not good for us. Or maybe it's not the right time for us. Maybe we need it later when we're more mature and we can accept it with grace instead of with greed. Uh, so many things involved that we just don't understand. But uh, one thing I do know is that uh, the Lord, everything he wants me to do is because he loves me. He doesn't want me to do anything because he hates me. That, you know, how many of us haven't thought about that in the past? Uh, he wants us to do what he has instructed us to do because he knows that will make us the best person we could possibly be. It's tough. It's tough to deny ourselves, but uh, it's something we need to learn to do. Judge among yourselves. This is, uh, of course, based on culture. Ju judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? What do you really think? And everybody knew it wasn't. They knew it wasn't. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? I don't know how nature fits into it. I don't know if there's something built into us that... I don't, I don't know how it works. i got to be honest. It's just way above my pay grade. But uh, I think one thing that this nature implies is the fact that it was a universal custom. Uh, everybody among the nations, it was customary that people, uh, men wore shorter hair than women. Uh, you go back through the history and it seems to be the same at that time. Uh, it appears that uh, it's been that way since the beginning. Maybe God created Adam with short hair and Eve with long hair, I don't know. Maybe that's where it started. Uh, but. It, out of nature comes this concept of men wearing shorter hair than women. 
man's not to look like a woman, a woman's not to look like a man. That's why I grew whiskers. So nobody will think I'm a woman. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. Her hair is given to her for a covering, not for the veil, but for a covering. To, to glorify the woman with this beautiful hair, uh, God gave woman uh, this place. Uh, there's 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 a, there's so many theories on this. I, I I'm not even going to tell you what any of them are because they're not worth it. Uh, everything's just speculation. Nature teaches us, and that has to suffice as truth. If anyone seems to be contentious, argumentative, we have no such custom. We are the apostles. And the apostles have never taught that before. It didn't come from God because it didn't come from us. We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. That means universally. It's not practiced in any church anywhere. It's the same everywhere. The women wear longer hair than the men. Um, now, people start talking about how long is long, how short is short. Forget it. It just doesn't work. Uh, women should look like women, and men should look like men. And... I could, I could actually, I could get in trouble for saying that. You know that. It, a biology professor, a biology professor, got fired from a university because he referred to uh, the male and the female as the basic uh, life forms of humans, and because he said the male and the female, he got fired. Because today it's not male and female. It's male and female and everything in between. This transgenderism stuff. In many places, uh, many universities, maybe most universities, you can actually get in trouble. You can get expelled from school when you talk about he or she did this or that, him or her. You can, uh, you can get in trouble for such things. Uh, they're pressing that one hard. They're going to continue to press it hard. Um, it's going to be a, a real problem. Uh, for people like me, it'll be a real problem. Uh, Bible teachers, it'll be a real problem. Uh, because uh, they're, they're going to uh, govern our, our words. Like they're going to govern our air conditioners our wood-burning stoves. Our washing machines, wash dishes machines. And this morning, uh, I heard where last Friday, they've now added uh, our water heaters into it. You're gonna start regulating the temperature on the water heater and on the air conditioner. When socialism gets a hold of something. They get a hold of it from the ground up. Okay, well, heard done. Let's go on to the Lord's Supper. Uh, remember, Paul's answering questions. First question about the woman in the veil. Second question, the way the Lord's Supper was being treated. I'll tell you what was going on so you'll know. Uh, there were people 
mostly more well-to-do than the average Christian, perhaps. Uh, they were they were meeting together uh, without the rest of the church being present, the poor people. They were reading the, together as a clique, and they brought, uh, oh man, they brought all kinds of food. I mean, it was a full-blown meal. Uh, I forgot what Raylan calls it, but uh, it's a full deal meal or something. But uh, that's what they were doing. They were eating a regular supper. Uh, and uh, Paul said, you can't do that. <laughs> that's not what the Lord's Supper is. It's not a regular meal. It's a, a symbolic of uh, the, the body of our Lord. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. And these instructions, he's talking about verses 18 to 34. And that's going to have to do with doing the Lord's Supper rightfully, okay? He says, uh, I'm giving you these instructions, and I'm not praising you because their behavior was atrocious. In verse 2, he said, I praise you, brethren, because you remember me in all things and keep the tradition just as I delivered them to you. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, I can't praise you because what you're doing is shameful and you ought not be doing it. Since you come together not for the better, the intention of the weekly meeting was to strengthen the disciples, to draw the disciples together, to make them a family, to make them one cohesive unit. But they were coming in shifts, more or less. One group, because they didn't want these other people eating in their food, all they brought was a little bread and a little water, and they don't want to share their turkey and hams with them. Uh, so they met separately. It was supposed to bring the church together, make the church stronger, uh, but he said, that's not what's happening. <clears throat> but for the worse, when you come together, it's not for the betterment of the church. The church is worse off. You've been better off if you never come together in the first place because when you leave, everything's more the mess. Paul's complaint can be summarized under two headings, what's coming up. First, their assemblies generated a spirit of division, contention, and schisms. Secondly, abusing and profaning the Lord's Supper. What they did was profanity. They were actually profaning the supper. The emblems that represent the body and the blood of the Christ, they were profaning that and doing so before the entire world, well, Corinth. For first of all, when, I, when you come together as a church, I hear, he was told this by the house of Chloe back in chapter one, verse 11, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now the word divisions means to rent, which means to tear or something being torn. It means a split, a faction which isn't supposed to exist in the church. The church is supposed to be one body, not half a dozen factions, but one body. And that's not what's happening at Corinth. They're dividing into factions, and this is going to lead to further problems. This is the problems that they had back in chapter 3, if you recall, where some were of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Cephas, and then some of the Christ. Uh, there were various factions that existed in this congregation. In part, I believe it, at least part of what he's heard. For there must also be factions among you. This is uh, 
an imperative in life. This is something we must deal with. And when it comes our way, we ought to deal with. Our Lord said uh, in Matthew 18 and 7 that offenses must come. If you remember, he said, woe unto the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe unto the man to whom that offense comes. Why must offenses come? It builds our spiritual muscle. When we encounter false teaching, false doctrine, when there's somebody trying to divide the church, it makes us stronger when we purge ourselves of that individual or that teaching. We come out stronger, better. So these things must happen, Jesus said. There's got to be a, a, a push in your life that you can exercise your spiritual muscles and become stronger. In Luke 17 and 1, he said, It is impossible that no offenses should come. I laid on a, a nurse's bed one time. She was getting something out of my eye. And there was a guy that came into her office there. There was a curtain between us. He didn't know I was back there. And uh, he started uh, telling her, he was a Pentecostal uh, preacher, he started telling her uh, how great his life was. I mean, everything was roses and roses, and ro there was no problems at all in his life. He was a faithful Pentecostal preacher. And I'm sitting there listening to him, and I think, man, that don't sound nothing like my life. I got problems on every hand, and this guy's coming here without a problem one. Either I'm doing something wrong or he's lying. I think he was lying because it's impossible that no offenses should come. I know what impossible means. It's impossible for me to jump to the moon. <clears throat> and it's impossible to have a life without offenses. If we're going to develop spiritually, these things must come our way. And when they do, we deal with them. And we come out better off on the other side. It, factions must come, in this case, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Approved, those who stand the test. These factions come that the faithful, those who are truly faithful, will stand apart from them. You'll be able to look and see who the faithful are. You can tell who the less than faithful are by the way they behave. In the case of the supper, you can tell who they were because of the way they were coming in and eating these me meals and gorging themselves amongst their kind. The faithful wouldn't be a part of such a thing. They would meet with the church as a whole entity, and they would behave themselves uh, properly. They would speak against such things, the preachers and teachers would, and try to bring an end to it. Uh, there has to be factions. In this case, it's so those who are approved, those who are truly Christ-like, can shine. When the Lord was crucified, he was murdered as a common criminal. And yet, the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests and the elders, they paled in comparison to him as far as their religion went. Jesus was a holy man. And everybody knew it. They crucified him, but they knew he was a holy man. They might have thought he was out of his mind or something. But they knew he was a holy man, a man who had given himself to God. Well, they didn't look at the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests and the elders that way because they weren't that way. 
They were arrogant, puffed up people. And it showed. Jesus stood out all the more because of their having been exposed to the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests and elders. Made him shine like a diamond in the rough. Offenses came that Christ could shine like a diamond in the rough. And offenses come into our life so we can shine like a diamond in the rough because we stand on the word of God no matter what the offense is. We do what the Lord would do. We take our stand with him and it'll show. In 1 John 2.19, John pointed this very fact out in one of the most elegant statements of all. They went out from us, disciples, left the church, but they were not of us. They were not of the same spirit. For if they had been of us, of the same spirit, they would have continued with us, of the spirit of Christ. But they went out that they might be made manifest that the whole world could see that none of them were of us, that they didn't possess the same spirit we do. That's why they separated from ourselves. Denominations didn't begin forming, as some suggest, historians, in the 15th century. Denominations began probably before 70 AD. There were already denominations emerging from the church. They've been around throughout the history of the church. And then finally, in 606, when the first papa was appointed pope, uh, the Roman Catholic Church gained its standing in opposition to the Greek Orthodox Church, but it became pretty much the universal church in a matter of time. Uh, before that, there were multiple denominations that existed. Uh, why did they leave the church? Because they didn't like it. They didn't want to live that way. They wanted to live a different way. I don't know what their bugaboo was, but they had one, so they left and formed their own congregation so they could do whatever it was they liked to do. And that's what John's telling us in this. It's not something that happened in the 15th century. It may have been revived in the 15th century, but it didn't begin. That's why we call them reformers instead of restorers. They're not... They don't try to restore the New Testament church. They just try to reform the Roman Catholic church. And that's where the problem's at. First Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter said in this, uh, you greatly rejoice uh, the trials, for, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by these various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, your faith may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus the Christ. <clears throat> it was it was making the saints diamonds in the rough, just like it did the Lord. They were following his pattern and they were shining like a new coin. Therefore, when you come together in one place, when you come together in one place, emphasis on you, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's not what you're coming for. You say you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, but your claim is false. That's not what, you're not honoring the Christ. Your motives are unholy. 
they were glorifying themselves. Look what I have. That's all they were doing was showing themselves. <clears throat> For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry and another is drunk. Greed, intemperance, and pride are all seen in the church of Corinth. Uh, it was, it was a, a big problem that this congregation had to contend with. I don't think they contended with it very well. I don't think they got over their problems, and that's one of the reasons by the time you get to 90 AD, you don't even read about the church of Corinth in history. It seems to have went out of history. Uh, they called them love feasts at that time. That's what the false teachers called them. Uh, the Lord's Supper had been turned into a love feast. Jude talks about it in uh, verse 12. These are spots in your love feast, talking about these false teachers and uh, preachers and so on. There are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. First, Second Peter 2.13, Peter said they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Uh, these, were, these were something uh, that many of the dissenters of the church uh, wanted to enjoy were love feasts. And it just uh, didn't work out as far as the apostles were concerned. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Now the anti-church of Christ, they, mis they misinterpret this. Uh, they say we can't eat in the church house. What's the evidence for that? Well, right here in chapter 11, verse 22. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Eat at home before you come to, to worship. Okay? That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Do you have to come into the church to eat a meal as though you're partaking of the Lord's Supper? Why don't you eat your meal at home? and then come to the church to worship properly or rightly? Or do you despise the church of God? Is that the problem? And you shame those who have nothing. There's the, there's the key. Shaming those who have nothing. They were setting themselves apart from the lesser people in the church. They created a natural division. The more well-to-do with those who were poor. And it was uh, unseemly. What? Shall I say to you, shall I praise you in this that you're doing? <clears throat> I do not praise you. This is a very severe rebuke. Uh, their behavior is uh, condemnable, and in essence, that's what Paul's doing. Uh, they're, they're, he finds their behavior to be abhorrent, abominable, and it has to come to a halt. It's just the very opposite of what the church is supposed to be. But it was happening. How much time we got? Just a minute? Okay, he said it's over. Shut up. So I better shut up. Reverend spoke. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, why don't we start here? Uh, this is a good place to start, I think. Verse 23 next week, uh, God willing. <clears throat>